You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Johanna from Austria. And I'm Annie in America, and you're listening to Fresh Hell, the international podcast where we discuss our favorite stories of murder, mystery, and the macabre, while oh so patiently waiting for the day when we can actually meet in person. And then you'll see that I'm actually a 60-year-old single man. (laughs) You too? (laughs) Yeah. Look at that. We have so much more in common than we thought. I too am a 60-year-old man. Welcome back to our regular listeners. Thank you for still listening to us talk about all the things that we find interesting. (laughs) And servus to our new listeners. Make yourself comfortable. We are so happy you found us and we do hope that you will enjoy this little podcast of ours. We have the best listeners and one of the many reasons why you guys are the best is that you all have amazing stories. Uh, For example, our moderator in our Facebook group, Laura, could actually fill a whole episode with her stories. I I have to get her to write everything down for us. But so many of you do have interesting things to tell us, and we are always so excited whenever you send us messages with your spooky, macabre, funny, or sad stories. And so we decided that it's time. Today we're going to read some of your messages to us about experience you've had with some of the topics we've discussed in the past. Uh, We do an episode like this a few times a year, I'd say, and we absolutely love it. Yeah, we really do. And if you haven't already sussed out that this is going to be a slightly chattier episode about spooky topics, then this is your warning that this is a chatty episode. (laughs) Yes, you've been warned. And if that's not your cup of tea, that's absolutely fine. We have over 120 other episodes in our backlog you can go and listen to. They're all amazing. Yeah. Because we're the best. (laughs) (laughs) We're not the worst. (laughs) All right. Our first story is about the Empire State Building shooting, which we covered in episode 76. The message goes, quote, Hello, Annie and Johanna. Very much enjoying your podcast. I recently listened to your Empire State Building episode, and it reminded me that I almost have witnessed the August 2012 shooting. At that time, I was working two jobs, one as a full-time hostess at Keene Steakhouse and internship at Oxford University Press. The New York office, of which is located in the building Kitty Corner from the Empire State Building. I ended up working at OUP for nearly seven years before leaving the city for good in 2019 and walked by the Empire State Building more times than I could count as it lay between the office and my subway stop at Herald Square. I've never been inside any part of it except the basement portion that is home to a Heartland Brewery where OUP held several of its staff holiday parties in the years I was there. Oh, I didn't know there was anything in the basement of the Empire State Building. How did you not ever go up to the top walking past it every day? That's amazing. All right, sorry. I think that's these kind of things that happen when you do things. Like, for example, when I was living in Cancun, I went to the beach three times. Three times in one and a half years. Because you're always busy working and you think, well, one of these days I'm going to have time to do it. And you don't. And you don't. Yeah. It's also, I guess, that thing where we often don't do all the touristy stuff until people come to visit us. You don't sort of do the things near where you live. Yeah. 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 Okay, sorry. 
Back in August 2012, I reported to my internship at 9am every weekday except Fridays. Monday to Thursdays I worked at OUP till 3.45 and then walked the two blocks to Keynes to work a 4 to 10.30 shift. Fridays and Sundays I only worked at Keynes and so at 9.03am that Friday I was still in my apartment in Flatbush, Brooklyn, getting ready for an 11 to 9 double. Jesus. Yeah, I don't miss those days. I was pretty cranky this summer. I'm pretty sure this was the same summer that the feels like temperature hit 113 one day, high humidity of course, and I didn't have air conditioning. Side note, most New York City apartments don't have built-in air conditioning, so you have to buy a window unit, and when you're young and broke, it's a constant battle between budget and sleep lost over the summer to hot, humid nights. Oh yeah, it's the same in New England and... I really do think it's getting hotter and more humid. Definitely. But I'm still, I'm not a fan of air conditioning. Honestly, glad that they are still very rare here in private homes in Europe. But that's a whole other topic. Our house is like a meat locker. You would not. (laughs) I would so not enjoy it. The only time in Mexico where I ever turned on the air conditioning was during July and August in the bedroom. Yeah. Okay, so back to the message. So I was getting pretty irritated at my mother, who over the full decade I lived in New York City would hear of any catastrophe in the city and assume I could have been a casualty. She often heard about these things before I did and would call me to confirm I was okay. Calls I'd often miss because I was working or on the subway, which would lead to more frantic calls until she heard my voice. Okay, so I'm laughing at this because Moose and I were just talking about how our mom used to do this. And when I was away at college slash university, cell phones started to become more and more common. And our mom was exactly the same. But at that time, cell phones were so new that she also didn't really understand how unreliable they were. She thought that cell phones were just exactly the same as a house phone. So if you were on the phone with her and the call got dropped because you had no signal, depending on the conversation that you were having with her at the time of the call drop, once you had regained reception again, you'd have like 29 messages from her either seething because how dare you have hung up on her or begging you to call her back so that she would know that you hadn't been kidnapped. And you know, I've told you already how I got like the true crime stuff from my mom, right? But she'd give us, she'd be like, it's your mother. Listen, I need you to call me back. Does someone have you? Are you hurt? If you're safe, I need you to call me back and tell me you're fine. And that's how I'll know that the kidnappers have you. And I'd be like, mom, no, I'm fine. And she'd be like, so you're kidnapped. And I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. I just dropped a call. So if you were ever at like the Cape Cod Mall or somewhere around St. Augustine in the late 90s and heard some brunette girl yell, I have not been kidnapped. It was probably me. Mom just had a real hard time with, like, the newfangled cell phones and their dropping calls. She, no matter how you explained it to her, she didn't buy it. She was like, no, you hung up on me. It's like, I promise I didn't, Mom. She figured it out eventually. I love these episodes because I feel like we get to have a chat with our listeners. <laughs> it's... Yeah, true. <laughs> I have to say that I do understand the moms here because I'm this person. Yes. I mean, no, sorry. My whole family is this person. We constantly check in on each other and get a bit scared when we don't hear from each other in in a while. Or like my sister is this kind of person who who just doesn't answer the phone the whole day and we are all freaking out like, what the fuck happened? And then she's like, what's wrong with you? I just was out or I was sleeping or whatever. Nah, we, we are like that. <laughs> it's the same with my family. We're always in contact. I text them to let them know when I'm taking a nap so that if they try to call me and I don't answer, they don't panic. All right, back to the letter. 
Back to the letters. So, my mid-twenties self did not appreciate her worrying. From my perspective, most of these incidents, explosions, falling construction cranes, etc. happened in parts of the city that were not only nowhere near where I was at the time, but often locations I never had occasion to visit. But that Friday morning, when I heard about the Empire State Building shooting, I knew I had to call her and let her know I was okay. The story had just broken, and so the details around the number of victims and who they were was not known, and had it been any other morning that week, I would have been walking to OUP crossing 5th Avenue and 35th Street one short block up from the scene. I was able to get to my mom before the news and I assured her I was okay. But in all my years there, that was the closest I ever got to any of the newsworthy New York City happenings. Except Hurricane Sandy, of course, which affected us all. Another story entirely. But suffice to say, I was one of the extremely lucky folks who was only inconvenienced by the subway floating that made it impossible to get to work for a week. The R-Line tunnel between Manhattan and Brooklyn was closed for two years following Sandy. That's right. Anyway, thank you for taking me down memory lane to revisit a more exciting period of my life. I am now happily ensconced in the Pacific Northwest living a quiet life in which sun is blocked by trees instead of buildings <laughs> and where I'm slowly learning to be startled by the sound of emergency vehicle sirens instead of tuning them out completely. Stay safe and best wishes to both of you and your families, Anna. Ah, love it. Youthful invincibility, I'd say. Yeah, it's the best, right? Just that time period before you understand on a personal level how terrible everything is and that bad things mm -hmm. happen to good people. You know, that like, mm -hmm. that go those golden years before life kicks you in the teeth personally. Yeah, exactly. That's what I keep telling my brother. So he's 20 now and still thinks nothing bad can ever happen to him. Oh. He sometimes stays out all night and my mom has sleepless nights because he often doesn't send her a message telling her that he's okay and staying at a friend's <sighs> house. This has nothing to do with being controlling. It's just... You just want to know he's fine and not somewhere in, in, in the ditch on the side of the road, right? Tell your mother that when we are visiting, if she wants, my dad will come over and help her move every belonging he owns onto the front lawn and change the locks. <laughs> That's what my father would do. You don't call to tell me you're coming home? I'm going to assume you've set up something else and you're not living under my roof anymore. I love it. I love your dad. Yeah. I find that extreme. We don't have a front. So my mom doesn't have a front lawn, but we can figure something <laughs> Put out. Put it on the street. Free to good home. Take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, the part with being startled by emergency sirens, I can relate so much. Now yeah. that I'm fully back to being a country mouse, uh, I'm this person who immediately checks when... You know, when I hear a car stopping outside, yes. my mom laughed so much the first time when I jumped up and ran to the door yelling, the mailman is here. <laughs> she said it's a clear <laughs> sign that I adapted to country life completely. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, our house is right across the fire station, so I don't get started by the weekly alarm at noon on Saturday, because that's expected that happens every week. But I do rush to the window when there's an unexpected alarm, you know, like, yeah. what's going on? What's happening? Life is so quiet and boring here in the most awesome way. I oh, love it. Yeah. I also love quiet and boring. I only lived in Boston for two years, maybe three years. And then I lived in Medford for a little while. And I never really adapted to living in the city. I grew up places with no streetlights. And you really paid attention if there was a siren. And I never... 
I never really adapted to being a city mouse, so I'm a fan of quiet and boring. But it's funny because she talks about Hurricane Sandy, and that was October 29th, 2012. And I know the exact date because it was my wedding day. And I had an emergency budget for the wedding that I was hoping not to need. You know, I used to be an event planner in a former life. So I always have like a little emergency budget anytime I'm planning any kind of event. And you hope you really don't need it and it goes right back into your savings. It's very smart. Well, yeah, bitter experiences taught me how necessary it was. But the weather dropped like 20 degrees overnight in St. Augustine. And so I used that money for space eaters. And I was able to change the first course from salad to a nice hot soup. I know you all care deeply about this, but yeah, Hurricane Sandy, it was funny because some, it was unfortunate. Some people couldn't get flights down to the wedding, which was unfortunate. But people who came down early to celebrate with us the weekend beforehand, a lot of them got stuck in Florida, which I don't think anybody was upset about. Yeah, I was so insistent once we knew the date of the wedding that it was going to be like late October that we move it to Florida because early October in New England is beautiful and amazing. And late October can be lovely, but I have so many memories, which I know we've talked about, battling my mother over having to wear a coat over my princess costume on Halloween because it was snowing outside and I just didn't want to risk it. We weren't worried about having bad weather for our wedding. It wasn't, um, I think that my mom was like, it's okay if it snows. And I was like, I'm not afraid if it snows. But like 75% of our family and friends, no matter where we had the wedding, we're going to be flying in. And we didn't want to risk people not being able to get here because of airports closing with a blizzard, right? Uh, And that's exactly what happened. It was, you know, the airports were closed, but for a hurricane, not a blizzard. I was in Hurricane Wilma in Cancun. My family was terrified. My mom told me later that she had the news on 24-7. That was in 2005, Mm -hmm. I think. It was still extremely hard to communicate from Mexico to Austria. Plus, during the hurricane, there was no signal anyway. But I did call them before when I knew that it's going to hit and that it's going to be bad. And I told them that they don't have to worry and that they probably won't hear from me for a while. And I think it took me one week to be able to call them again. How was the hurricane for you? Did you like it or did you find it scary? It was okay. I was with uh, with friends in yeah. a house on the outskirts of Cancun. Uh, it was really, really bad in the in the tourist zone in the uh, at the lagoon. Some of the hotels were completely destroyed. The water was in the third and fourth floor. I think three people died. Security guards who were there. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah, and then afterwards, you know, seeing all the destruction and people not being able, and there was so much looting. Oh, there was no way to get food anywhere or water. It was yeah. I was stuck in Cancun back then for three weeks until I could get a flight out via Mexico City. Right. And that was pre-smartphone as well. Like 2005, we had cell phones and you could text, but it was not... But it was also complicated because many countries had different... How do you call it? Let's like the signal didn't work. For example, my Austrian phone it didn't work in many countries that I had to fly yes. in as a flight attendant. Yes, yeah. that's right. You had to have a different chip. You'd have to buy when we would go to England, you'd have to buy a different SIM card and either change your yeah. SIM card or have a separate phone. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. It was not it was not easy. I vaguely remember Wilma. 2005 is the year I was widowed. And I remember my best friend Lara and her husband came when Adam died from New Orleans where they were living. And when they got home, it was pretty quickly thereafter that Katrina hit. And then they were out for, it was like months. They packed up to go away for a weekend and it was months and months before they could get back. 
into New Orleans, but thankfully they yeah. were together and they that had their bad. dog. Yeah. And yeah. And I think for them, not that there's an upside, but I think for them having just lost, because they were really close to Adam as well. So I think it helped keep things in perspective for them in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. as bad mm. as it was, I think they were sort of very cognizant of how much it could have been worse. I do love a hurricane. I grew up with like Eye of the Hurricane parties where when the eye passes over the whole street would come out and have like a check-in, make sure everybody was okay. And That was fascinating. That was really... Like Vilma was so big that the eye was uh, there for a whole day. Oh, wow. We're in the eye of the hurricane for a whole day. I do vaguely remember this. I'm sorry, my my 2005, 2006, I don't remember. I just don't remember a lot. It, It is what it is. I do love a good hurricane. I don't love it when anyone is injured, though, obviously. All right. Next, we have an email from Diane who wrote to us about a chilling connection to a very infamous case. She had a lot of really good stories. It was hard to choose just one. This one was my favorite. So she writes, My ex-husband used to work as a skip tracer for a Sears credit card. He had been trying to contact a customer who had stopped paying his bill to no avail. So he called that customer's neighbors to try to get information about the customer. The neighbor was practically hysterical when my ex called. She said that her neighbor was crazy and really weird. He'd just gotten into a fight or something and chased his boyfriend naked down the street and the cops didn't do anything about it. I bet half of you at least have goosebumps like I already do right now. She said she kept trying to tell the cops that there was something wrong with him, but they ignored her pleas to arrest him. The customer? Jeffrey Dahmer. The product he'd stopped paying for on his credit card? A refrigerator. I get chills whenever I think about it. Yeah. I get chills right now. (laughs) Yeah. That whole story, as soon as she says that he chased his boyfriend naked down the street, I'm like, oh, my heart just sank. We know that story. Sank. So scary. So, so creepy. Oh, yeah, Diane, that is chilling. Yeah, that's creepy. All right. I really love the next story. I do too. Okay, so here it goes. Hello ladies, this is my second attempt writing you today. I spilled coffee on my first. I'm glad to finally have a legitimate excuse to email you. I'm a first-generation American on my father's side of the family. We are from a very small town called Großroseln in the Saarland, just a couple of kilometers from the French border. Johanna, though I know your accent is technically not the same as the members of my family, it is very similar to my uneducated ear. They are all gone now and when I hear you speak, it is so heartwarming to me. You sound like family and that brings me comfort. Ah, thank you. That's it's really... It's, I love that. Thank you. That's the best compliment. Mm. She goes on. Anyway, yes, I, along with my father, Oma and now my daughter... I don't know, do you people know that Oma is the German word for grandmother? I knew that. It's Oma and Opa, right? Is that right? Yeah, Oma yeah. and Opa. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. And now my daughter all have experienced prophetic dreams. For all of us, it seemed to start during puberty and is stronger or lacking during various times in our lives. One instance of my father's prophetic dreaming happened while he was in Vietnam and ended up saving his life. His company was taking cover in a foxhole and he refused to join them. They yelled at him that he was asking to be killed because he refused to go with them to their hiding place. A moment later, a huge explosion occurred and he stood watching as his comrades were violently killed in the now burning foxhole. It all happened exactly as it had in his dream the night before. I can't even imagine surviving that. Mm. So hard. Horrible. 
Uh, reminds me of one of the very few stories I know of my grandfather's World War II time. Gonna tell that another time, maybe. Okay. The message continues. One of the most significant dreams that later came true for me was when I was 29 and grieving the loss of my best friend. Tracy and I had been best friends since we were nine years old and she had passed away at the age of 28 due to a pulmonary embolism after the birth of her third baby. I was having a very hard time accepting this loss and thinking of all the regrets and sorrows I had with regard to my friendship with Tracy. In my dream, Tracy and I were laying on the floor for some reason. She took my hand and the next thing I knew she was taking me on a tour of sorts. She was showing me this place that was very green and we were traveling down what seemed a series of twisted, hidden gravel pathways ways. Eventually we came to a place where the ground was rutted and moss covered. The land was steep but not high and moderately covered with pine trees. Down the steep land we went and found ourselves on the shore of a dark blue-gray lake whose waters were cold and clear. When I woke up from this dream, all I felt was the loss of my best friend all over again. I didn't think anything else about it. A little over a month later, friends and family gathered to celebrate the birthday of Tracy's oldest daughter. We ended up talking about how Tracy's parents and kids and husband were all going to spend some time up at the family's cabin in Maine in a couple of weeks. I said how Tracy and I always planned to go to Maine one summer and have an amazing girls-only vacation. Her family then invited my family and I to come to Maine too if we wanted. It was super short notice and while we collectively looked at the calendar, I kept waiting for a reason to prevent me from going to present itself. When that didn't happen and I was able to find someone to take care of my pets, we started packing. We made the nearly 16-hour drive without stopping, save for an occasional bathroom break. When we got to East Machias, it was just after sunrise and the bright light combined with the lack of sleep served to make things almost dreamy. I felt like I was dreaming as we followed Trace's husband turn off the main road to a small road that I wasn't even sure was a real road. Then he turned off that road to another deeply rutted road. I was just taking all of it in and experienced a sense of déjà vu as we continued our journey. Eventually we parked our cars and I got out and found that I was standing on the edge of the steep land Tracy had taken me to in my dream. Below was the dark blue-gray water that caught the morning sun and shimmered magically. Thank you for taking the time to read this and please keep being the wonderful, wicked women that you are. <laughs> Yours in hell, May. <laughs> I love this story so much. I also love yours in hell. And thank you for calling us wonderful, wicked women. That's also very nice. There's a lot I like about this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Machias is way up there. I think it's up near the Canadian border. What an incredible experience to have had. Oh, it's funny. So some years ago now, I don't remember, 2009 maybe, we were in England visiting family as we often do, we were visiting both my side of the family and Paul's side of the family. My husband's a dual citizen and all of his aunts and uncles and cousins still live there. His mother's English. And so we had gone down to Dartmouth to spend a week at a a house we rented. And when we got into Dartmouth, Paul was suddenly like, I've, I, I know where things are. Like he was recognizing things and I was all excited because he is like the least... It's not that he doesn't believe me when I tell him things. It's just he is so not a believer of any kind. So I was like, oh, wow. And even he was like, wow, I I know this place. How do I know this place? And then he remembered that when he was a kid and lived in, in England, his mom had brought him and that he had actually seen the movie Star Wars in the theater in Dartmouth back in the day. So it was not a psychic situation. He had just forgotten part of his childhood. Mm. But yeah, I used to have more prophetic dreams before puberty. And then 
after puberty, I don't, I had, I, I still have them occasionally, but not as frequently. And then post PTSD, I almost never remember dreams. Every so often, like if I get up in the morning to pee or let the dog out or do anything and then do go back to bed for an hour, sometimes I'll remember those dreams, but that's pretty rare. Do you, do you ever have dreams that you remember? I remember most of my dreams, but I never have prophetic dreams. Never had any. That's okay. That's probably, that's probably for the best. Are you the one who told me that you had the, the baby dreams, the dreams of yeah. your friends who got pregnant? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Those were all, bef I think, almost without exception. No, my, Lara's second baby, I knew that she was pregnant, I think, before she did. Yeah, occasionally I'll dream that people are having a baby, and if that happens, it's pretty much a guarantee. It's weird. And then I used to have other more prophetic dreams. I very much remember a dream I had in high school that a friend of mine had died in an accident, and it was so vivid that I woke up thinking it had happened. Do you know what I mean? When you yeah. Have you ever had a dream where you can't tell if it really happened or if it was a dream it was one of one of those and when I saw them the next day at school I actually got a little bit emotional because I was so relieved and much later on uh when we were all out of school they they were killed in an accident kind of what I dreamed actually the thing that's hard and the thing that I was thinking when we were talking about the father's dream in Vietnam that saved his life is those dreams are so hard because You don't know they're prophetic until the thing happens, yeah. right? You can't really warn people. Do you know what I mean? It's just... Yeah. How can you save them? Yeah. It's... Mm. Yeah. All right. Here's another message, and this one is from Chris, and we were both very much touched by this one. So Chris wrote... On episode 67, Johanna mentioned the song that showed a sign from her father. So, I'll try to be a little short on this, but by the age of 16, I lost my aunt, uncle, grandmother, and my mother in a roughly 10-year span. Ugh, that's a lot. All were cancer-related. Fucking cancer. Fuck cancer. I think we can all agree with that sentiment. So, when I graduated high school, I decided to become a firefighter. After over 20 years of the job, volunteer, I do have nightmares of things that I saw. The one that stayed with me was a 14-year-old girl who passed at a car accident. We performed CPR all the way to the hospital and even had a medical helo on site to fly. After I don't know how long, but we tried for over an hour, the doctor called the time. After that, at least twice a week, I'd dream of that call. Same person same outcome, for over a year. It was always in my mind, awake or asleep. Then one night, I finally broke down crying, and my wife finally got me to talk about it. That night, as I slept, the same dream happened, but the ending was different. The doctor called the time. I then felt a hand on my shoulder and a whisper, you need to let me go, end quote. And that's it. That one also really gave me the chills. Mm -hmm. And... First of all, can I say thank you for your service? Thank you very much for your service. My husband was transported by helicopter after being hit by an elderly driver, my late husband. And while he ultimately did not survive either, I can tell you firsthand how grateful victims' families are to everybody who tried 
to save him. And so I'm really glad that you talked to your wife about this. And can I just reiterate again how desperately I wish that anybody in this sort of job had mandatory therapy? I think it's so important. Mm. Even if, you know, even if you just had to go once a month and say, yeah, no, everything's good. Yeah. But I think unless everybody goes, it's still going to be stigmatized. Do you know what I mean? Unless they make it a... Everybody just has to. Police, fire, like all sorts of professions really should have mandatory check-in with therapists. It's it's too much. It's too much to take on. Yeah, it's too much it's to too take. much. Yeah. Chris, what an amazing story. I'm just um, yeah, yeah. having goosebumps. Although it, I, I knew the story already. I read it already. But now again. Yeah. Thank you for sending it to us. You mentioned my dad's sign with the song. Uh, I can tell you another story about my dad and sending signs via songs that just happened like two months or so ago. I don't know. Some of you might might think I'm reading things into coincidences, but well, for me, it's a sign. And here it goes. So my dad's two favorite bands in the whole wide world were the Rolling Stones and CCR. I think I mentioned that already before. When my mom and he met, he gave her a tape with all CCR songs and she kept playing it constantly over and over (laughs) again, much to the annoyance of her oldest brother, I might add. (laughs) Anyhow, my dad loved CCR all through his life. I always told him when John Fogarty comes uh, on tour again to Europe, we're gonna go, but that never happened. When you would call my dad, instead of the ringing signal, you would hear CCR and it was either Hey Tonight or Have You Ever Seen the Rain? Nice. That's how much of a fan he was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Most of you already know my dad died unexpectedly last year in June, and it has been so rough for us. My parents, um, they had been divorced well over 20 years now, but I think they still meant a lot to each other, which my dad would have never admitted. But after his death, I did find things that actually quite surprised me a lot <laughs> in yeah. that in that direction. But I digress. I think I told you the story of my mom's earrings last year. Yeah. Halloween episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Now, every time I take my mom somewhere in my car, like a doctor's appointment, for example, every single time I swear, CCR, have you ever seen the rain comes on the radio? Every <laughs> single time. I never hear it when I'm in the car with someone else, just with her, every single time. At first, we were shocked and I changed the station because I didn't want to hear it. I cried. Now we kind of accepted it. And every time this happens, we we smile and we think of him and we know that he's here, right? Yeah, I love that so much. Absolutely. It gets better. So a couple of months ago, I had a very stupid fight with my sister about some really stupid nonsense. I can't even remember what exactly (laughs) it was. Hey, I absolutely love my sister, I would do almost everything for her, but she often really grinds my ears. I mean, that's sisters. That's you're doing it yeah. right. That's yeah. <laughs> that's that's how sistering works. You love them more than anything in the world, and you want to kill them half the time. <laughs> yep. So we have this fight, and I was in a parking lot because I was about to go grocery shopping, and she did hang up on me. She she loves to do that. She's a she's a person who hangs up on you oh. when you're fighting. So. I start to record a voice message to my sister telling her everything that annoys me. But I delete it again. And I start over again. And I delete it again. You know, I'm trying to find the right words. In my anger, I didn't want to make it worse. But I also wanted to be, like, really firm with her. Sure. And after the fourth trial or so, I decided to just not send her a voice message at all. I decided not gonna talk to her anymore until she apologizes. 
And as I said, I don't even know exactly anymore for what, but yeah, she had to apologize. <laughs> it was important at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it was so important, yeah. Okay, so I get out of the car, completely angry. I walk into the supermarket, the doors slide open, and guess what song starts to play the moment <laughs> the doors open? <laughs> CCR, Have You Ever Seen The Rain? Oh. So I'm standing there in the middle of the supermarket entrance, tears start to run down my face, and I tell my dad, yeah, I know, I know, I have to take care of her, it's fine, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna fight with her anymore. And I do my shopping, and as soon as I was back in the car, I did send her a voice message, and this time I told her that, that I love her and I don't wanna fight about nonsense stuff with her. I love that. I absolutely think it's a sign from your father. I really do. And I think if Fogarty does come back, see, this is the funny thing. When April was sick, she said how she just regretted not going to see more live concerts. So I was like, all right, we're going to see live concerts. And now it's funny because whenever I go to live shows now, I feel like she's with me. Like, I feel like she comes to visit specifically when we go to stuff. I don't know how to explain it. It's weird, but I can just, I just sometimes feel her around me. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know how to, I love it. I think it's great. All right. I'm trying to think. I, this this is a story I don't think I've told before. And I've mentioned before having complicated PTSD, which is complex. It's when sort of when more than one thing happens to you that's traumatic and I'm not going to get into everything today because there's a lot and y'all don't need to hear it all. But for this story, I was 28 years old. I had been recently widowed after 13 months of marriage. I'd gotten sick on my honeymoon and been diagnosed with my first autoimmune disease. And then I got diagnosed with a second autoimmune disease because they come in groups. They bring friends. And now I'm having to apply for full-time disability, which is devastating because I can't reliably work anymore and I'm having to leave a job. You know, when you get to a place, it's such a rare thing to get a job where you love what you do and you love the people you work with. And that was my job and I loved it and I had to leave it. And that was, yeah, it's 28. You know, your, your life is sort of supposed to just be beginning, you know, and yeah. for me, sort of everything had sort of started to crash to a halt. My mom was in a wheelchair. Her health was declining. It was before one of her brain surgeries. And my dad was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer, like six months after Adam was killed. So there were other things that happened, but that was some of the big stuff. So I'm at the cottage, the little family cottage with my aunt, and it's the night before my dad's PET scan to see if the cancer had spread throughout his body. It was the next day. And it was late, and I was just sitting outside smoking my before-bed cigarette, because it's before I quit smoking, and just looking up at the stars. It's so clear down there. We get too much interference from Boston, where I live, so whenever I'm on the Cape, I'm just, I love looking up at the stars. Like, you can see the Milky Way. You know, it's so clear. Yeah. And I love it, too. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. When we were in the city, you, you can't, all the light pollution, yeah. it's too much. It's really yeah. rare to see stars here. It's like, ooh, you can see a star, you know? Yeah. So I was just down there, and I was kind of looking at the stars, and I was crying and talking to Adam, because I do that. And I was just sort of explaining to him that I just was not prepared to lose my dad. Like, it was just, that would be something else that I just didn't think I could survive. And... As I'm explaining to him how I know he and my dad get along real well, but I just, you can't have him yet. I see this motion out of the corner of my eye. And so I turn my head to sort of look to see what's moving in the dark. 
and it's a fox. And it's very slowly walking from through the neighbor's yard toward me on the deck. The deck is on the front of the house and it's a good sized deck. It's like three three little stairs up. So it's not like a super high deck. You know what I mean? And so the fox walks over and sits down just a couple of feet away from me and just stares at me. He kind of tilted his head a little bit and we just stared at each other for probably a good minute. And then it just calmly stood up and it walked away back toward the beach. And the next morning was dad's scan. And we soon got the very excellent news that while cancer was in the lymph node, which they had known about, it had not metastasized to any other organs. And I really do feel like that fox was Adam's way of letting me know that everything <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> that every Jesus, come on. It's been 20 years. Get over it. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> I'm totally going to be able to say this sentence without crying. All right. Um, it just felt like that was Adam's way of letting me know that everything was going to be okay with my dad. And hmm. when Adam died, there was a lot of really interesting experiences with birds. Another thing that had happened, which is totally a story for another time, but I had run myself over with my own car and crushed my ankle. Again, story for a different time. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one. It's a long one. Different time. And I was on the couch with my foot above my heart for like three months going into slightly smaller casts, smaller casts. And Adam came home one day with a bird feeder and he hung it right outside the window. So I had something else to look at. And that's kind of what started the whole bird thing. And then after he passed passed away, there were just a lot of really strange, and I mean immediately after, like the year after he died, there were a lot of, um, like birds would land on me, like wild birds would land on me, and that kind of thing, like really in your face kind of stuff. You'll never convince me that the birds and the fox weren't, weren't Adam. I don't yeah. know, it's just weird. It's, I'm just, pa I'm just so certain, you know. And then I had the cardinal. Do you remember the cardinal? Yeah, after my dad died, right? Yeah, that was, it was like, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but I think it was the week, it was it was right sort of immediately when your dad had passed away, and we were yeah. talking about it, and literally as we were talking, a cardinal came into the yard, and I realized how much I missed cardinals, because I used to see them all the time in Wayland, but we hadn't really had a pair here, and that year, they... They made a nest. They, that literally that day that I was talking to you about your dad, I saw cardinals. And cardinals are a super common bird around here. It's weird that I didn't notice the absence of them until all of a sudden there was one in the yard. We have a lot of robins. Yeah. We are overwhelmed with robins. There's so many. I love them. I love them. I love them, which is again an Uncle Robin who passed. But it's like, it was just such a funny thing talking at the time. And then another time when I was talking to you, an enormous fucking dragonfly landed on me. And it didn't yeah. get a really big startle because it was so large. I have a picture of it somewhere in like bright blue. And I was like, Johanna, you have to see this thing. It just like every time we would talk about your dad, a bird would come or a dragonfly and like land on me or right near me. And yeah, I really feel like Adam was like, he's here. I got him. We're good. Like, no worries. <laughs> It's like the two of them and they're hanging out with, you know, David Bowie and Prince and they're, your dad's <laughs> waiting for one of the stones to drop. He's going to have a while. I'll tell you what. I think it's, I think the stones are going to outlive me. My dad 
I, I know exactly what my dad is doing. My dad is already over there working in the huge soccer arena, <laughs> keeping the grass really nice and, and tidy. Is that what his job is? Like, the whole idea? And he's gonna watch all the, the great guys watch soccer. He loved it so much. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. I think if my mom had a job on the other side... You know, my mom would probably be... She taught really young kids... And my mother had endless patience with children in a way that I've never had. Teenagers, not so much. She didn't want to hear your lip. <laughs> like, she was not into teenagers. But oh my goodness, my mother with babies and small children. I think she's probably taking care of all the small kids until their parents get mm -hmm. back to the other side. I think mom is sort of watching over all the little ones whose whose family haven't made it back across yet is what I suspect my mom would be doing. That's probably her idea of heaven. And uh, I've also told the nieces, some of the nieces had a hard time, and I've told them all, you know, make sure you can always talk to her. And I was like, you know, tell her. <laughs> I've told them that she's good at smiting, but not serious smiting. So, like, if there's a bully, let Ginny know about it, and she'll just make sure they step in water every time they put on fresh socks or... They never find a good parking space. Like, nothing really serious. She's not evil, but she'll inconvenience them for you. You know? So, yeah. Ugh. All right. I'm not going to cry. Those were really nice stories. I love our listeners. Yes. So good. Absolutely love it. Yeah. I think our listeners are something good this week. I'm, we're just... That's true. I know. It probably sounds like pandering. I know... I know in the past when I've listened to podcasts or anything and they say, we have the best listeners, and I'm like, eh, everybody has to say that. But I'm like, no, we actually really do have just really exceptional people who listen to this program because we really get the nicest, I mean, personal stuff that we're not going to share with other people, but just yeah. really, really nice, kind. Is it for you the same? Like sometimes it's so hard to find the time. And I know it's it's even harder for you to, to do this and, and read all the stuff and, and take notes and record. And it's a lot. And then you get a message from somebody and then you see why why it's all worth it. Yes, very much so. Yeah, I definitely have, especially the last few months have been really difficult because... My health has been, well, it's the nature. And I know a lot of you have messaged us and said that you have autoimmune stuff or chronic illness. And so I know a lot of you will understand how there's a real ebb and flow to autoimmune stuff. And if, if you're not familiar, you sort of flare and then it gets better and then it comes back and then it gets, it's kind of just a never ending for your whole life kind of a thing. And right now everything is flaring. And so I, my colonoscopy is tomorrow. I've got a lumbar puncture coming up. I've got a lot of testing going on and it's, yeah, it's amazing. Sometimes you just feel like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And you get a message from one of our listeners and it's like, no, I'm okay. I can, I can still do this. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I think we're going to end this episode just like this. I think you all know where you can find more information on yeah. everything you need to know. Just visit our webpage. Freshhellpodcast.com. That's all you need to know. Exactly. We love you. There's everything. We're so grateful. Thank you so much. Yeah. For everything. Tell your pets we said hi and hug them and cuddle them and treat them the best possible way. Even always. the scaly ones. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you yourself are going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye. <laughs>